thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. And this is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Ron Randall and the opinions expressed are just ours. We do this podcast simply because we love reading and talking about Trekker and Ron Randall's other comics. Please consider visiting trekkercomic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to Mercy St. Clair. It features a new page of Trekker material each Monday, where the Volstock payoff storyline has just ended and a new story titled Chapel Town is just starting. You also find links to all the ways to follow Ron Randall on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. TrekkerComic.com also has a link to his Patreon page, where you can donate to help support the creation of brand new Trekker material if you want. Also, at the Trekker Comic website, you'll often find interesting posts on Thursdays. That's where Ron Randall occasionally shares his inspirations and insights into how he creates comics, as well as the latest news about Mercy St. Clair. A recent post included an update about the upcoming release of the Jekka story in print, including the news that the story has been retitled for the trade paperback. The new title is Rites of Passage, which he feels is more descriptive for the trade. Ron also talks about bringing on Shauna Gore as editor for the print release and teases us with news that the print volume will include some additional pages. So be sure to check out that post, which includes a very nice in-process image of Mercy and Jekka. As we've mentioned before, Ron Randall started an email newsletter late last year, and a new issue was recently released. He commented on this being an anniversary year of sorts for Trekker, since he first sold the pitch to Dark Horse Comics in 1986, with the first story appearing in 1987. He's thinking of ways to celebrate the anniversary and told fans to feel free to send him any suggestions. This newsletter also included his upcoming convention schedule for the year, including... Seattle's Emerald City Comic Con and Calgary Comic Expo in April, Denver Comic Con in June, and Rose City Comic Con in September. He's looking at adding some other cons as the year progresses, so if you haven't signed up for his newsletter yet, be sure to so that you can keep up with his schedule. If you're attending any of these cons, be sure to stop by his table. He's a true gentleman who always is happy to talk to his fans. He has a great selection of prints, and his con sketches are amazing. During this podcast, we'll sometimes refer to page numbers related to the story, especially when we're taking a closer look at the art. Trekker has been published in many formats over the years, but for our references, we use page numbers from the Trekker Omnibus. This collection was published in 2013 and includes all of the Trekker material up to that point in time. It's available in a printed trade paperback, or you can get a digital copy from Comixology or the Dark Horse Comics app, as well as from the Amazon Kindle store. If you happen to own any of these books on a digital platform, please consider taking a moment to rate the books. By doing so, you just might help encourage new readers to give the series a try. In this episode, we're covering the final half of Mercy St. Clair's origin story from Sins of the Fathers, which was featured in the double-length Trekker Color Special in July 1989 from Dark Horse Comics. And later in the episode, we'll share some of the great comments and feedback we've received since last time. We think the show is more fun for everyone when we hear from you, We really enjoy sharing your comments, so please write in and let us know what you think. What do you like best about the world of Trekker? What is your favorite Trekker moment? And which is your favorite story? We'd like to hear your thoughts. And of course, please feel free to point out anything we've missed. You're welcome to share your opinion on any aspect of the books. So stop by trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media connections, or send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com and we'll include your comments in a future episode.
Sins of the Fathers is a 42-page story that is divided into four chapters. It was featured in the double-length Trekker Color Special from July 1989 and published by Dark Horse Comics. The story appears in the Trekker Omnibus from pages 220 to 262. We covered the first half of the story last time, so we'll be covering chapters 3 and 4 this time. The story is written and illustrated by Ron Randall with letters by Ken Brusnack. Colors in the original issue were done by Lorraine Haynes, but it was recolored by Jeremy Caldwell for the omnibus. The issue features a wraparound cover. The left side of the cover features Angus McKee, who runs the school where Mercy trained to be a trekker seven years earlier, as well as Karch, who was another student at the school with whom Mercy had a relationship during their time in training. We've now learned that Karch's father died during the Martian campaigns 20 years earlier because of a decision that Angus made. Karch has sworn to get revenge and recently ambushed and seriously injured Angus. However, Karch was injured in the fight as well and has been recuperating before making his next attempt. Mercy came to help Angus, but that was before she knew Karch was the attacker. Now everything is more complicated. Our story opens with Mercy and Angus flying a shuttle from the planet Vitreus, where the training school is located, to Bay, which is its smallest moon. Angus thinks it's a likely location for Karch to make his next attempt. During the flight, Angus tells Mercy about how Karch's father died. Rebels were attacking the spaceport on Lucy, and Angus was in charge of the ground defenses. A large cruiser was flying in for another assault on the spaceport. Angus had an opportunity to fire a ground cannon at the cruiser, but saw a damaged Allied fighter nearby. There were 1,375 people in the spaceport, while the damaged fighter had a crew of seven. He took the shot and hoped for the best. He destroyed the cruiser, saving the spaceport, but the damaged fighter was destroyed in the crossfire. It was a Trollian ship, and Karch's father was the captain, and that's why he has sworn an oath to kill Angus. Mercy reassures Angus that he made the right decision as their shuttle lands in the forest. The two arm themselves, and Angus begins walking directly into the forest while Mercy flanks him from a distance. Mercy watches Angus from the shadows as he drags his injured leg behind him. He is no longer the indestructible warrior she once knew. As the two approach a large grove of yukata trees, they hear Karch's voice call out, That's far enough, Angus. You should have stayed home. Karch walks into the clearing. Three other men are behind him, and he says, These three will serve as witnesses to the kill. Then Mercy's voice rings out, saying, No. Karch and the three men look up to see her perched high on a branch with her rifle aimed at them. Karch tries to explain. The Trollians had been swept into a grimy, out-of-the-way back corner of the galaxy until they were needed to fight in the war. His father thought fighting would bring honor and valor to the Trollians. Instead, he died while Angus was given a medal and therefore must die by his hands to fulfill the debt of honor he owes to his people. He begs her to walk away. She sees the passion burning in his eyes, but she can't walk away. One of the men with Karch pulls out his gun and a firefight ensues. But the three witnesses are no match for a tracker and her trainer. Mercy and Angus quickly take down the other three men, and Karch takes that opportunity to run to a shuttle and blast off into the sky. Angus and Mercy quickly follow in their shuttle and track Karch to an abandoned satellite factory. It's clear to them that Karch isn't running. He's luring them in, and they know he will be waiting for them. Mercy and Angus land their shuttle, 
they know carts will already be set up somewhere in the tubes waiting for them. Angus thinks the two should split up, but Mercy doesn't like that idea because of his injuries, but finally gives in. The two move methodically through the twisting tubes and scaffolding inside the abandoned station. Angus finds it difficult to climb a ladder with his injured arm and leg, and as he reaches the platform at the top, he finds Karch waiting for him. At least your mind was sharp to the end, Karch says. Mercy turns and begins running toward the gunfire. She sees Karch at the top of a platform and begins shooting, driving him back into the pipes. At the bottom of the ladder, she finds Angus. He dropped quickly to the ground, managing to avoid being shot, but he's moving even more slowly after the fall. Mercy is often running through the tunnels after Karch, even though she doesn't know if she'll be able to kill him when she finds him. Her emotions get in the way of her judgment, and she falls into a trap that Karch has set as the floor beneath her drops away, sending her sliding into the bowels of the station. The machinery is running, so she knows Karch has started it up. The noise is deafening, and she knows he'll be hiding in the shadows. She calls out to him, I don't want this fight, and I don't think you do either, but if you don't stop, one of us will die. Mercy silently moves through the shadows and finally sees where Karch is hiding. She jumps and rolls into view, pulling her weapon up and aiming it directly at him. Karch stands there. He doesn't raise his weapon toward her. He tells her to stay out of it while he goes back to finish off Angus. Mercy refuses to lower her rifle and is surprised by Karch's speed as he quickly kicks the weapon from her hands. She rolls back and pulls out her pistol, but Karch is already in position and shoots her arm, sending her gun flying across the room. Mercy rolls again and then climbs onto a platform, holding her bleeding arm. Karch approaches her with his weapon raised. He doesn't want to do this, but he has to. He says, Goodbye, Mercy. But Mercy has a plan as well, and with perfect timing, she drops to the ground, just as a piece of machinery swings into view and slams through Karch's chest, killing him. Later, she cries while Angus holds her. As the two slowly make their way back to the shuttle, he tells her she needs to find something more in life because the life they live as trekkers isn't enough. In the first half of the story, we got Mercy's backstory and origin as a trekker. In the second half of the story, we see some of the pain and suffering that come along with that life. Mercy spends both these third and fourth parts desperately hoping to somehow convince Karch to stop. She has multiple opportunities but can't bring herself to kill him but she was able to do what she has to by luring him into a trap. She basically gives him the opportunity to turn away, and his choice determines his fate. It's a fast-paced story with two very diverse locations. The lush forest setting has great variety with twisting vines and branches, while later the tubes and tunnels in the abandoned space factory are filled with shadows. It really shows off Ron Randall's ability to create interesting worlds, and Jeremy Colwell's colors help bring both locations to life. There are tons of action poses in this issue that really show off how Ron Randall is able to capture body movement so well. The gunfight in the trees on pages 251 through 253, sneaking through the tunnels on the satellite on pages 256 through 258, and the fight between Mercy and Karch on pages 259 through 261. Twists, turns, rolls, there are just so many great action scenes packed into these pages. As always, I really like the ship designs, and Karch's shuttle is a particular favorite of mine, reminding me ever so slightly of a Romulan bird of prey from the original Star Trek, which remains my favorite ship design from that classic series. This has been another great story that really helps move Mercy and her adventures forward. Next, let's talk about our favorite pages and panels. Ruth, what are yours? Okay, I will start with page 257. Okay. 
Okay, it's in the midst of the search for Karch in the satellite factory. I chose this because of how all the panels come together so well to convey the hazards, the suspense, and the urgency of the search. We see Angus after his fall. Later, we see Mercy take her tumble through the trap door. I think the lighting and shadows and sound effects all fit together so nicely. I really agree with you on this one. I, I didn't choose it as one of my favorites, but I do remember particularly liking this page. And especially I like that right there in the center of the page, you have this circular design of one of the tubes that Mercy is crawling through. It's sort of like intentionally a circle right in the center of the page. I like that. And backlit. So the shadow is actually coming forward towards you. Very nice. Okay. Now I'll flip back a few pages to page 249. Got it? Yes. Okay, that's where Mercy and Angus have just stepped out of their ship in the forest and are beginning their search. It's really another favorite of mine. I appreciate the different viewpoints on the page. There's a close-up of their feet as they strike out and a panel where a view of the ship partially frames them in the distance and then a nice overhead shot in the very last panel. Oh, and I love the yellow sky. It was really a good color choice in my opinion. Yeah, I like that yellow sky a lot. And interestingly, I'll have you like flip through the next few pages. We're aiming toward 253, and notice the color shines through that yellow sky through the next few pages as we turn to my top choice. So landing on page 253. I'm there. Okay. I love seeing Karch's ship take off, and a few panels later, we get an exciting space scene with Angus and Mercy's ship in pursuit. So on this page, we have some of that same yellow sky echoed by yellow in the jet trails. And then there's the view of the golden atmosphere of the moon that they are leaving behind. Yeah, I really like that. I don't think I noticed that when I read through it. So thanks for pointing that out. I do like that yellow atmosphere as the ship blasts into space. All right. For me, I don't usually choose fight scenes as my favorite pages. I generally gravitate more toward pages that establish locations or pages that are filled with mystery and suspense. But this story is filled with so many great action scenes that I can't help but choose some of them. So we're going to flip just a few pages further on to my third favorite, which would be page 260. This is one of those great pages during the fight between Mercy and Karch. It's near the end, and it's filled with rolls and twists. There are so many different poses, all captured so well, that it really makes the fight scene flow. Uh, I'm just amazed at some of the ways that he's managing to show Mercy all twisted and rolling around. And then we'll flip back to page 252. Okay. And I that's, see it. yeah, that's actually, that's back on the forest with Mercy in the trees and Angus on the ground below. Again, this is the gun battle between Mercy and Angus and the three witnesses. And it, again, is just filled with movement and so many falls and twists and turns. As you look at the page, you can just feel the movement of all the characters. That's impressive. Yeah, and, there, and there's that yellow sky again yes, that you were talking it's about. there. And then we'll just turn a couple of pages forward to my favorite page, which is page 255. It features uh, the okay. scene of the two shuttles in the satellite factory, followed by a series of panels as Mercy and Angus begin to search the station. I love the ship designs. And I also like the angles and perspectives created by all of the pipes and tunnels in the station. It's a gorgeous page. I just love everything about the layout and the shadows and the ship designs. So many good things to look at in this. Okay, and now let's talk about favorite panels. Okay, grab your book and then find, first up, page 257. 
All right. Okay. Oh, yeah, I recognize that page. <laughs> yes, familiar. So take a look at the very last panel, bottom right. It may not be flattering, but I like how Mercy is illustrated during her fall, right before she hits the ground. It's dynamic, and I think he got the pose just right for the tumble. I agree. Now, on the very next page, number 258, is another winner. See the center horizontal panel showing a close-up of Mercy's face? Yes. Okay, her eyes and the subtle changes in her face are just so expressive. You can really sense the desperate plea as she tries to convince Karch to drop the vendetta. I love how the panel is cropped on the top and the bottom, and then how the shadows cross over half of her face. I really think there's something classic about this panel. I really like that panel too, and something I didn't pick up on the first time through, but now just stands out immediately, which is the way the shadow falls across her face. It looks very much like the scars across Karch's face. Ah, I did not see that before. It's an amazing panel all the way around. Okay, now let's take a look at my very favorite panel. It is on page 262. And find the last panel on that page. Right there. Okay. It is simply an amazing space scene. The lighting and the coloring in this panel are just so beautiful. It makes me wish I could see places like this firsthand. And I think it's a great way to end a story about my favorite sci-fi bounty hunter. I knew as soon as I turned to that page that that was going to be the panel you were naming because as we transition to my favorite panels, my third favorite is page 262, the very bottom last panel in the story. No way. (laughs) It's such a nice view of the shuttle leaving the station. I love the designs of the station and the shuttle and the colors in the space scene in the background are just gorgeous. The whole panel is fantastic. I agree. I think it would make a nice print to hang on the wall, just that gorgeous space scene. Very good. And then we have to flip way back to go to my runner-up panel to page 251. Okay. Am I there yet? Okay, I'm finally there. So page 251 on the left. This is again back with Mercy and Angus in the forest. It's the view of Mercy in the trees looking down at Karch and the three witnesses. I really Mm -hmm. like the perspective. And I also love the gnarled look of the branches and the vines. Lots of great detail there. And for my winning page, sorry, we have to go forward a few pages to page 256. On the lower right, I love the way Ron Randall captured Mercy in action. She is leaping over some equipment in the satellite factory. The angle and position of her body just looks perfect. It's like a camera caught her in mid-leap. And the shadow beneath her adds just the right amount of detail. So it really brings the image to life. Hey, I like the sound effects there too. Blam, blam. (laughs) That's very nice. And also it makes me think of the panel that you liked of her when she was falling just before she hit the ground. So we both picked two panels with similar type of representation. So really great panel. And I loved your sound effects. Now it's time for Who's Who, when we talk about significant characters from the stories and get to know them just a little better. We don't look ahead because we don't want to spoil the stories for anyone reading them for the first time. That means we'll revisit characters over time as we learn more things about them. Mercy St. Clair is a bounty hunter known as a trekker. Following her parents' tragic deaths, she joined Angus Training School for Trekkers at the age of 17. Now, seven years later, she lives in Antari Alley, which is a bad part of New Gallif, where she spends most of her money on weapons for her job and food for her pet docs named Scuff. 
Alex St. Clair is Mercy's uncle. He and Mercy's father, Alan, were both street cops. After Mercy's father was killed, Mercy lived with her uncle, and though he disagreed with her decision, he enrolled her in Angus McKee's training school when she insisted on becoming a trekker. Alex has stayed in the police force and has risen to the rank of lieutenant. Angus McKee was a former military officer during the Martian campaigns who later opened a training school when laws were passed to approve trekkers as bounty hunters. Mercy trained at the school when it was originally located on Earth in the city of New Gallif, but in recent years the school moved to the planet Vitreus, where Angus was ambushed and injured by a former student. Like Mercy, Karch was one of the earliest students at Angus McKee's training school. The two were consistently at the top of the class. They trained together and developed a romantic relationship that Karch broke off just before the two graduated. Now, seven years later, we learn that Karch was the son of a Trillian military officer who died because of a decision Angus made during the Martian campaigns. As is required by his people, Karch has sworn a vendetta against Angus. Next up is Trekker Transmissions, where we share the listener feedback we've received since last time. We sincerely appreciate every message we receive and truly believe they add immeasurably to the show. So, a big thanks to everyone who took the time to write in. Dr. G, man of nerdology, promoted our last episode, urging his friends to download it right away, saying, get on it, nerds, and he let us know he was planning to do a read-along with the podcast. Thank you, Dr. G. Joe Crawford said Sins of the Fathers was one of his favorite stories, and he was excited to hear the podcast and our take on it. John Baker wrote as soon as he listened to the show to let us know how much he enjoyed it. Professor Allen shared a couple of thoughts on the art in the story. He said, you mentioned this briefly, but I think that Ron Randall deserves a lot of credit for drawing Mercy authentically at different ages. Portrayed as a young girl and also as a teenager, she does not just look like a shrunk-down woman, which is how many comic book artists draw children and teens, but she is definitely the same person, albeit at different ages. Excellent art. I just want to interject here how much we agree with Professor Allen on that point. It was actually the first scene that Ruth mentioned to me when we reread the story for the podcast. Rod Randall definitely deserves praise for capturing Mercy authentically at so many different ages. Also on the wraparound cover, and then at the end of part two, when we see Karch with his scars, didn't you think those scars looked at least a little bit like John Sable's war paint? Again, we think alike with Professor Allen. Being Mike Grell fans as well, that definitely came to mind to us. Brian Mulvey wrote to us about favorite panels and pages from the last episode. He says, I smiled at Ruth's panels she liked with the silhouettes as she loves black inks, and I'm a sucker for a full page splash. So page 225 was my choice. But with Ron, it is the subtleties in his storytelling that make him great. Darren, your choice of the panel on page 234 that had gel bars from the skylight shadows was brilliantly perceptive on your part. Well, Brian, thank you very much for calling me brilliant. Oh, Brian, please don't do that again. <laughs> okay. Brian also shared that he enjoyed seeing Mercy at the various stages of her young life before she chose to become a trekker. Then he posed a good question and asked if we thought Angus McKee bore slight resemblance to Spencer Tracy, and we can definitely see that too. Later on Twitter, Brian referenced an amazing story by the mighty Ron Randall. That was a fun reference back to Tony Greenall's praise of Ron Randall's mighty skills. We enjoyed that, Brian. And by the way, Tony Greenall let us know he is enjoying his prize Trekker print. We're happy to know that it's safely crossed the Atlantic, Tony. Ron Randall posted on Facebook that this installment by the fine folks over at Trekker Talk covers Sins of Our Fathers, probably the most significant of the early issues as it covers a large part of Mercy's past and plants seeds for what is happening in the current tales and what is yet to come. 
also one of my personal favorites, as it reveals a lot of that through a pretty tense adventure with plenty at stake. Was happy with how it held together, and hope it delivers on the intended emotional impacts. Thanks as always to Ruth and Darren for their continuing appreciation, enthusiasm, and support. And thank you, Ron Randall. Isn't it amazing to get something like that from him? Yes, it's delightful. (laughs) We also got a nice note from Jeremy Caldwell, who said, Thanks for all you do to promote and appreciate Trekker. And thank you, Jeremy, for all the great coloring that you do on it from time to time. In discussing possible Trekker Talk meetups at conventions, Ruth Reese coined a clever name for them, which was Mercy Meet. We like that. So, as convention season gets closer, we'll let everyone know that conventions will be attending in the hopes of having a Mercy Meet or two this year. Ruth Reese also wrote in because she thought of Mercy St. Clair when she caught an episode of Face Off, where the challenge theme was bounty hunters. Wouldn't it have been great to see Mercy St. Clair turn up there? Absolutely. Ange thought the sketch that we posted of Amethyst by Ron Randall was beautiful. If you search the internet, you can find some amazing commissions that Ron Randall has done over the years, and that's an example of a great one. Ron Randall mentioned on his Facebook page that he had received several new friend requests from comic fans recently. That's always great news as more people hear about the return of Trekker. We hope everyone is following his Trekker page on Facebook, and hopefully they'll listen to the podcast as well. We want to extend our Trekker thanks to everyone who supported us on social media since last episode. These are the people who favorited or retweeted our tweets from at Trekker Talk or liked Facebook or Tumblr pages. Thanks to everyone who took the time to share news about Trekker Talk with others. Your support really helps draw attention to the show and best of all, helps others discover Trekker. We also want to take a moment to send a thank you out to our friends Rob and Shag at the Fire and Water Podcast. We just received one of their coveted STEAM awards, and while it wasn't directly related to Trekker Talk, we still want to take the opportunity to thank them for it here and to encourage everyone to check out their multiple podcasts at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We also want to single out a group of Captain Marvel fans who have been sharing and retweeting our posts recently. Captain Marvel 75, Let's Talk Shazam, the Shazam cast, and the Superman Captain Marvel Power Hour. They're all great resources for a super character, and we sincerely appreciate that all of them have been supportive of what we're doing. We'll put links to them on our show notes and encourage everyone to check them out. So before we start, let us say if we miss a name, please let us know and we'll correct that in the next episode. And also, forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just email us and let us know and we'll be happy to correct that next episode as well. Andy Capellish, and of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary, Anna Maria Schaefer, BC Fan 101, Billy Hogan. Birds of Prey Podcast, Brian Hackney, Brian Mulvey, Brian Payne, Captain Marvel, Carolyn Wallace, Cat Ferris of Periscope Studio, Selena, Chris Mounts, Crispy Bacon, Christopher Mills, Christopher Warden, Claudia Zimmer, Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics blog, Corey Hodgson, Cullen Stapleton, Dan O'Connor, David Cote, Dean Schaefer, Deborah Franklin, Diablo Frank of the Idlehead Martian Manhunter blog, Dwayne Kiwanke, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology of Pulp to Pixel Podcast, Ed, Terry, and Nick Moore of Tilt Productions, Eli, the Film and Water Podcast from our friend Rob, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Greg Arugio, Gus Ceballos of the Mike Grell Facebook page, Jason Pretty, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain Podcast, Jeremy Colwell, Colorist Du Jour, Jesse Hamm of Periscope Studio, Jessica Stanford, John Baker, Joseph Crawford, Kirim Ahmed Hamden, Karen Williams of the Between the Pages blog, Kia Blackman, 
Kyle Benning of King Size Comics Giant Size Fun and the new Superman Captain Marvel Power Hour. Laurie S. Sutton, former DC editor and writer of the You Choose Adventure books. Laurie Parker, Luds Komani, Lynn Randall, that's a familiar last name, Lyra Fay, Marcus Rather, Martin Gray of the Too Dangerous blog, Maxine, Michael Scudurio, Mike Hall, P.J. Kilgannon, Pablo Ventura, Patrick Scardo, the great team at Periscope Studio, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Rajak Bajok, Rob Lance, Robert Lewis, Robert Pilk, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ron Horak, Ron Randall, there's that last name again, Ruth Reese, Ryan Daly of Secret Origins Podcast, Scott Eos, Shag Matthews, a.k.a. Firestorm Fan, Son of Cthulhu, Space Cowboy Sci-Fi, Starfall Comics, Stella of Batgirl to Oracle, Stephanie Trahan, Steve Lieber of Periscope Studios, Stephen Derrick, The Lady Jessica, Tim Wallace of Cord Industries, Timothy G. Kramer of the Provocative Praise Blog, TLG, Tom Rogers Comics, Tony Greenall, Van Z, Warren Montgomery of Will Lil Comics, William Harris, and William Limmer. It's time for the Trekker Toast Award, where we recognize someone who has gone above and beyond in supporting Trekker Talk. For the first time, we have two winners this month, but these two people are inseparable in our minds. Both are dedicated listeners who regularly tweet to promote the show. In addition, both are big supporters of Ron Randall and frequently do Twitter posts promoting both him and Trekker in particular, often exchanging thoughts when the new page is posted each Monday. We always enjoy having conversations with them on Twitter about a wide range of topics and a variety of TV shows and movies. So we lift our glasses and give a thankful Trekker toast to brother and sister John Baker and Ruth Reese. Congratulations to you both. We sincerely appreciate all of your kind words and support. And we'll be back after we play a couple of promos for other podcasts you might enjoy. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys. Star Wars. Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by two true freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with. And be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. 
and The Blackest Night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. It's time for What's Up, when we talk about other things going on outside the world of Trekker. We were back at the wonderful Carolina Theater recently to see Blade Runner, the final cut, on the big screen, which is an all-time favorite of ours. I first saw this movie when it was released in 1982. As a fan of science fiction and film noir, it was a perfect movie for me. And when I went to see it, I remember being shocked to find I was the only person in the theater. The movie featured Harrison Ford from Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and was directed by Ridley Scott, who made Alien. I expected the theater to be packed. Of course, Blade Runner turned out to be a big flop, initially being released during a very busy summer that included Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and E.T., The Extraterrestrial. But the movie later found its audience through video store rentals and is now considered a classic, and the audience turnout at the Carolina Theater illustrated that. It was a packed house, and the audience loudly and enthusiastically applauded when the credits rolled at the end of the film. There are several different versions of Blade Runner, so let's go over exactly what the final cut means. The original theatrical version was not the version director Ridley Scott wanted to release. After test audiences found the film confusing, the studio added narration to explain the story and filmed a new happy ending where Deckard and Rachel escaped together. Later, a copy of the work print of the film that did not include the narration or happy ending was found and screened in a few cities to positive response. However, Ridley Scott did not like that version because it was missing some important scenes and didn't have the completed soundtrack by Vangelis and instead used some of the soundtrack to this Planet of the Apes by Jerry Goldsmith in places. The popularity of the work print screenings led to the release of a quote-unquote director's cut, even though director Ridley Scott did not actually oversee the cut. He was filming Thelma and Louise and wasn't available at the time, but turned over his notes and the studio had a film preservationist complete the cut. The true definitive director's cut wasn't released until 2007 for the film's 25th anniversary, and it is titled The Final Cut. The studio gave Scott complete creative control, and he restored his original cut, including the full unicorn dream sequence that had been partially lost. He was also given a budget to clean up some special effects, including digitally removing the wires that could sometimes be seen when the spinners were flying. We posted about seeing the movie on Facebook, and my cousin John wrote to say that he saw one of the spinners on display at the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle when he was there a few years ago. We've been to that museum, but sadly didn't see the spinner when we were there. We saw this final cut when it was released on DVD in 2007, but this was the first time we had the opportunity to see that version on the big screen, and it was fantastic. We posted to Ron Randall that we were going to see the film and told him we would be looking for Mercy St. Clair in the background because she would fit perfectly in the world of Blade Runner. He posted back and told us to look closely because her scene is subtle. Besides an amazing story and excellent effects, the film has an amazing cast with Rutger Hauer, Sean Young, Edward James Olmos, James Hong, and Daryl Hannah. We had the pleasure to meet William Sanderson who plays J.F. Sebastian at NostalgiaCon a few years ago. In addition to Blade Runner, he's known for his roles in New Heart, Deadwood, and True Blood. He is a really nice man and was great to talk to, and we have a signed photo of him as Sebastian. And here's a bit of trivia. When he learned where we lived, he was proud to tell us his son lives in the same city where he runs a landscape business called Blade Runner. Isn't that a perfect name? 
Of course, the look of Blade Runner is one of its best features. It is gritty, realistic, and believable, and one of the best locations in the film is the home of J.F. Sebastian. The Bradbury Building in L.A. was used for that, and I was surprised in re-watching the film that the name of the building was actually shown. The building was featured in one of my favorite podcasts, which is called 99% Invisible. It's a show dedicated to architecture and design. I learned it was built by a gold mining millionaire with the last name of Bradbury in 1893. The designer took his inspiration from a book set in the year 2000. All of the iron balconies and hydraulic elevators and glass ceiling give it a great steampunk vibe. The podcast has references to Blade Runner and lots of information about how that building, which actually houses L.A.'s Police Bureau of Internal Affairs, is a popular location for film and television productions. I'll include a link in the show notes for those of you who might be interested in listening. It was a great night out and a wonderful way to see the film. If there's anyone out there who hasn't seen the final cut, we encourage you to seek it out. It's the best version of a fantastic film. And if you would like to hear more about Blade Runner, check out the Film and Water podcast, episode 18, from our friend Rob. We'll include a link in our show notes as well. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. Also, if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. That's a terrific way to help get the show noticed and perhaps attract more listeners to Grow Trekker fandom. And please consider subscribing to the show so you always know when there's a new episode. We'd love to hear from you, so if you want to contact us directly, send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr using the name Trekker Talk. And you can always visit trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media pages. Please use hashtag TrekkerComic and hashtag TrekkerTalk in your messages to help other fans find and follow the conversations. For those of you interested in the music that Ron Randall listens to while working on Trekker, he uses the hashtag Trekker Soundtrack. Remember, at TrekkerComic.com you'll find a new page every Monday, as well as links to all the ways you can find Ron Randall, and he often responds to posts on his Facebook page and on his Patreon site. So post to his pages and let him and other fans know what you think of his new Trekker material. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will come back next month for another new episode of Trekker Talk. Comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Royalty Free Music, Movies, and Videos from the Royalty Free Music Club. Sound effects are taken from the albums Space Weapons and Lasers, Instrumental Sound Effects, Ultimate Sound Effects Collection, Hollywood Sound Effects Volume 4, Sound Effects Library Volume 1, and Number One Sound Effects for Movies, TV, and Websites. We make no money from this podcast, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you.